Hi, my name is Warner Lewis. Thank you for joining me for Creating Home, a weekly podcast exploring what different successful individuals have done to allow them to find their physical, emotional, and spiritual home. We'll discuss their individual journeys, including disadvantages, roadblocks, adversity, and dead ends, as well as their strategies, successes, and support, which allowed them to overcome obstacles and thrive. When I first thought of creating a real estate-focused podcast, it quickly expanded beyond chatting with past clients and friends about their real estate. While real estate provides my financial livelihood as a New York City real estate broker helping clients purchase and sell their homes for the past 15 years, my passion for it derives from expanding my life through the close relationships that are created during the process of finding a home. Indeed, a home to me is so much more than the physical walls in which we live, but it is also the actions we take to ground ourselves and find peace and acceptance, as well as the people with whom we surround ourselves and who give support and guidance. As we find ourselves spending more time at home these days, I have reflected on my own journey that started with the choice to go into this industry 16 years ago. At that time, I was basically unemployable, alone, deeply depressed, and truly felt that real estate was the last option I had and had avoided because if this didn't work, I felt I was out of options. The act of going into real estate and metaphorically burning the boats behind me and being all in on changing my life has led me to the place where I am today. I have an incredible business partner, Ari Harkov, and we have had one of the top 200 real estate sales teams in the nation for the past five years. I have a loving and deeply accommodating wife and two wonderful and exhausting kids and more true friendships than I ever dared hope for when I was a socially awkward and terrified kid. The hope is that in hearing what these intrepid individuals have gone through to get where they are today will be inspiring to others on their journey to find home and a sense of physical safety, emotional peace, and individual success in this sometimes raging storm of life. If that happens, then the goal of this podcast will have been met. Today, I have with me Dr. Carter Stout, who I got to meet through someone who has become a very good friend and confidant, his incredible wife, Jennifer Jones. Um, I first met Carter at his wedding, which funnily enough, um, brought together a lot of cross sections of my past from New Yorkers from St. Bernard's, people from boarding school, St. Andrews and College Trinity I went to. And here at the midst of it was Carter, who... I'd heard it had a very a, a very uh, colorful life, to say the least, but I didn't know much about him. And when I was putting together this podcast, Carter jumped into my head along with people I'd known for years and years and years. And actually, the first interview that I'm doing with anyone who I don't know deeply, but now I feel like I do because I just finished Lost in Ghost Town, his book that he was starting on a promotional tour when the pandemic hit. And I actually, I think Carter was New York the second to last stop on the tour before it got canceled. Yes, exactly. And so that coincided with my life sort of falling apart in a mini period. And I realized the only place I could actually be at that moment, the right place to be was listening to Carter bear his soul and put his life out there. And so Carter, I'm so thankful to have the time. I know you have an incredibly busy schedule with clients and sort of the who's who of people that I think a lot of people know that might know, but um, you know, you're the, you're the guy <laughs> yeah. they, tr- you're the guy they trust and you're the guy who's oh, wow. gone through things that most, I can't, I literally can't believe I just finished the book and I can't believe you're here with us. And um, 
you have lived more than one life to say the least. And, and, and what you've gone through, you know, I think is why you're such an amazing help to your clients. And I would love just to, as much as we can sort of nail down what got you to where you are today. You know, what was that resiliency and how did you find it? But first, um, because I am interested in in the whole 360, tell me about sort of your physical locale where you live, a little bit about sort of your house, your family, and then we can launch into how you got here. Thank you so much, Warner. Um, It's great to be here with you. I, I live in Topanga Canyon, which is a bit of an outlying town that's nestled right in between Malibu and the Pacific Palisades, which is on the west coast of Los Angeles. And I live about six minutes from the Pacific Ocean, live up in the hills uh, in a uh, beautiful home that was built in 1925. It's called a beam and post house. And so the way it's constructed, all of the beautiful hewn beams are actually uh, visible and there are posts uh, that cross, uh, that intersect with the beams, and they just give the the house this like beautiful old world um, natural feel. And I look out my windows, and I'm, I'm I see California oaks everywhere. We live on about a half an acre and of uh, terraced hillside, and it is a home that has quite a history. Um, We bought it from the previous owners, this wonderful Australian couple, and they, the the man who um, was the, uh, who, who lived here for 31 years, was a composer. And there's a little studio on the property that was his music studio. And during the time he lived here, he recorded many wonderful artists in this studio and it's where I'm sitting right now and speaking to you is from the studio. And, uh, he recorded Michael Jackson in here. Oh, wow. He recorded, um, Christina Aguilera in here. He recorded, um, Natasha Bedingfield in here. He recorded Olivia Newton, John. He actually wrote the song. Let's get physical. Uh, the the Olivia Newton-John song and uh, the song Genie in a Bottle by Christina Aguilera. And so when we moved in, there was a door on the inside of this studio that had all of the the signatures and little messages from all of the artists that had performed here. So this is um, part of the home. It's, It's a little bit separate. It's about 50 feet away from the home and it's about 250 square feet. And this is where I, I wrote my book. And so there's incredible creative energy in this studio space, but also in the home. One of the reasons that we bought the house when we did, and we've lived here for about eight years, was because we walked in and the energy in the house was just so good. We just felt this loving, wonderful energy. And it was evident that the family, the Kipners who lived there, were just this incredibly tight, close family that had wonderful values were, were full of creativity and full of, of love. And, um, and you can really feel that in, in the lightness of the energy in the home. So, so this is where I reside. I feel very fortunate. We, we love being here. 
I'm married to Jennifer Jones, as, as you mentioned before, and we have two children, Sebastian and Maxine. Maxine is six and Sebastian is three, about to turn four next month. So um, that is where I am now. And, um, you know, it's, it's really interesting, this whole concept of home. I think it's really uh, such a wonderful concept that you're exploring with this podcast because what I have found throughout my own life is that uh, growing up, I grew up in Georgetown in Washington, D.C. in a in a big Victorian mansion. And my parents came, you know, were affluent and successful. And we lived in this expansive mansion uh, right in the heart of Georgetown. I think it was 7,000 square feet. And it was built in the 1880s. And it was just this beautiful, gorgeous home. And there was so much about the home I loved, but there wasn't a lot of love in the home. Um, and, uh, because of that, I really suffered in my childhood and, um, looking at it from the outside, you would think of course, that it was everything inside would be just wonderful and perfect. And it, and that wasn't my experience growing up. And it wasn't until I was actually many years later, um, which is the experience that I talk about in the book, Lost in Ghost Town. It wasn't it wasn't until I was homeless, <laughs> I was actually homeless, um, living on, on the beach for a few weeks, that I really rediscovered what home really meant to me. And it was through uh, an African-American family that I met that lived in the sort of inner city part of Venice, California, which was the Oakwood neighbor neighborhood. And that was called Ghost Town. And they had this small little craftsman home and they invited me in to be with them and to eat meals with them. And I became really good friends with this man named Flynn, who was, who was a little bit older than me, and his grandmother. And their sense of family was so strong. And they really accepted me and took me in. And so that sense of home that I experienced much later in life was very different from my previous experience. And it was instrumental in me wanting to finally do the work that I needed to heal. Um, and, you know, at the time I was addicted to uh, narcotics and it gave me the courage to take a look at myself and say, I want to change my life and get better. And it was really about that home and that experience. I finished your book last night. I read it in one sitting at which I'm, um, known to do if and only if I really like something. And what I read in it resonated so much with me personally and and with a lot of experiences from people who I grew up with, uh, who were given a lot of advantages. And, um, you know, you said from the outside, everything looked great, but in the inside, it wasn't. And I think that that was my experience, a lot of people's experience. And um, I have no doubt that even when you were in the depths of a lot of this, no one had a clue how much pain you were in. Do you feel that opening yourself up and being vulnerable was the big first step to getting help? Yeah, I, I think you're 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 right on. That was part of it, certainly. Uh, what drove me, I think, to that vulnerability really was. And what's interesting now, I'm a psychologist now and I have a practice and I see patients and 
usually they don't really want to explore things deeply until they're in a lot of pain. Because why else would you spend time? Well, there are some people that want to come into a psychology office and just chat about their day and they have extra time. But most people, it's not really where they want to spend their time. So usually when people come in, it's because they're at an impasse. Things are just really psychologically or emotionally painful for them. And they're at the point where they know that if they don't change some something really might, um, something drastic might happen in their lives. And, you know, it's true with relationships, but also when somebody's in the depths of depression or when they're really feeling anxiety or if they are addicted, uh, which was of course my experience. Uh, and so I think that I was at a point in my life where the psychological pain, the trauma of my childhood, the disillusionment, the disillusionment, the, the feelings of being other, the feelings of being neglected and abandoned, and the disconnection that I had with myself and my, my true self, my, my spiritual self. I was just so far removed from that, that I came to a crossroads and it was either really continue with my life or discontinue my life. And that was the crossroads that I came to, which was, it's either, uh, it's not worth it to even be here on this planet, or I have to break everything down and reinvent myself from the ground up. And so that was the critical moment, I think, for me. And it, and it of course, was uh, encapsulated by a tremendous amount of vulnerability because once I made that decision, then it was really going down into the wound. It was saying, what are these, what, what's the inception of all of these negative feelings and, and, and all of these negative beliefs and all of this pain, this, this emotional and psychological pain? Let's go down into that. And of course, if you're ready to do that, it, it is the, you know, the, the most vulnerable and fragile that you can ever be because you're just exposing yourself. And, and that's where the healing started to take place for me was when I was ready. But in order to get ready, I had to be in a lot of distress. I mean, you, you are the Michael Phelps of distress. I mean, I, I reading the book, I, I mean, your tenacity, your ability to come back from where you were is just mind blowing. Um, and you know, there's so many things, everyone's story is different, but I think that stories of redemption have a lot of things that are the same. And, and, you know, I'm reading your story, reading about bulimia and reading about not being able to look at yourself in the mirror and, um, the not being able to look yourself in the mirror is something that stuck with me. I mean, I was completely body dysmorphic in high school and still, and it took years and years and years to see myself in a, a way other than I had had sort of hammered into me in boarding school, which was a terrible environment for me when I was a very not socialized kid. You know, I have 14 pages, I think, of your book, Dog-Eared, and one that really, you know, the first one that start, jumped out to me is that you, you know, I wanted to find someone who could make everything easy. I wanted someone to take away all the bad feelings inside of me. And, you know, you did just say that, that it really 
coming back from addiction and coming to where you are now was the process of of starting completely from scratch and one foot in front of the other and building a life. And that doesn't happen overnight. I just know for myself, coming back from depths, which looked like a, a, a kiddie pool compared to yours, it was incredibly painful to see that I really was at zero uh, in my late 20s, early 30s, and that I needed to start doing for myself, which I wanted others to do for me. So what was it that kept you going? Because it seems like you were as close as anyone I've ever met to just giving up who's still here today. Yeah, that's that's um, that's so true. And, and I'm sad that you had similar experiences at boarding school. Things got better for me as I got a bit older in boarding school, but the first few years were very tough. Um, so I think to answer your question, I'm a very spiritual person and I've based my whole recovery on spirituality and developing a, a spiritual program for myself, which I adhere to every morning when I wake up. And that spirituality, which I really, I really, the way I think of it is the, that I, that I have a soul and that the soul is my most authentic essence, my most spiritual nature. It's where I hold my love and my kindness and my generosity, and my patience. And, and that voice in me, I remember it as a child. I remember it as a boy before things became very complicated in my life. And so I knew it was there. And I think throughout all of the very difficult moments and the when I was hitting low points in my life, there was just the tiny spark of that voice that was left in me that kept me trudging forward and kept me alive. This knowing that there was something bigger than myself that was walking side by side with me not really being able to define it at that point, but this feeling. And it was very, very buried deep inside, but it was there. And as I began to turn my life around and I started studying psychology and spiritual psychology and the work of Carl Jung and the work of, of many other philosophers, I started to realize that that I was being led by something um, that was me, but also was, was something bigger. And uh, I spent many years trying to reestablish my relationship with my soul and connecting with my soul. And that really was the, probably the most important aspect of my ability to start to rebuild my life was this foundation of spirituality. And of course I made mistakes and I made wrong choices and I had angry outbursts and I was a human being as well, but it was the dedication and the commitment to really trying to listen to that voice in me that propelled me forward. And, uh, you know, I came, as I mentioned before, I came from a very affluent background and, and my family had money. But when I finally decided to 
get better. And I went into treatment. My family said, this is the last thing that we're paying for. And so when I was in treatment and I was about to get out, of course, I didn't have any money at all. And my family wasn't going to help me. And the treatment center was making plans to drop me off at the homeless shelter in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And this was after I'd done six months of treatment and I was really feeling good and I was much better um, or that the journey was beginning towards my health and wellness. And, and I was really scared. Uh, I, I didn't know if I could do it. I didn't know if I could survive. And uh, I, I found a tiny little sublet in Santa Fe that was $300 a month. And it came with a rickety old 10 speed bike. And I didn't have winter clothes and it was the dead of winter. And I was very cold. I was just riding around in my tennis shoes. And I rode around on that bike and dropped off resumes at all of these different places. And I got a job working as a waiter at a restaurant. And then I had been encouraged by some of the therapists at the treatment center to apply to this graduate school in Santa Fe, which I did. And I had to spend a year uh, at a community college to get my prerequisites. And then I was accepted to this graduate program to get my master's. The whole time I was working two jobs and I took out student loans. And really, uh, it very much taught me the value of, <laughs> of money and, and what it was, which is something that I didn't know earlier on in life because things were really given to me um, monetarily. And so that was really uh, such a big part of this connection to spirituality because I, it really gave me humility and I had to build myself up from the ground. And every piece, I remember every milestone was so important to me. And when I, when I finally graduated after three years with a master's in psychology, I was, it was just such a, a big moment in my life because I really worked hard to achieve that. And I hadn't had too many experiences where I really earned something. And it was really about earning that. And at that point, I decided to come back to Los Angeles and I entered into a doctoral program, which took me another six years. So I spent almost 10 years in school. Uh, I started in age 30, at age 35 and uh, received my PhD when I was 45. And uh, since then, have really focused very much on my recovery. And uh, I've worked at, at many treatment facilities up in Malibu and, and, and around Los Angeles. But I've also established a private practice where I see people. And it's just been an incredible, incredible life. And I'm so blessed and so fortunate. I, um, it's almost as if I've, I've lived two lives or three lives, even sort of the one before the, the, the life of, of my adolescence and, and early adulthood. And then my life as an addict and then my life now. And, uh, it's remarkable. It really is. And, uh, and I feel as though, my story is unique, certainly, and uh, the the details of the story are unique, but it's 
it's an archetypal story. You know, someone who falls from grace and really um, spiritually goes through a death and then or is reborn and uh, with great um, with great knowledge and wisdom and then becomes a um, someone who is useful in the world. And, you know, for many, many years in my life, and it sounds like you share in this, uh, I didn't feel like I had a sense of purpose. I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing. I didn't know where I was supposed to be. And so going back to school and studying psychology and becoming a psychologist, you know, I, I feel as though now my life is, life is purposeful and I get to work with people and, and play a role in them shaping the stories of their lives. And, uh, it's been an incredible experience. And I, I am, I'm humbled every day now by the, the bravery and the, just the incredible wisdom of, of the people that I work with. But, um, the work that I do really does very much come out of my, my own experience. And I think that many good therapists are that way is that they, they have suffered and there's an archetype, um, of the wounded healer, right? They say mm -hmm. that wounding, that, that healing comes from the wound. And so in many ways, that's how I work. You know, it, it's, it is amazing. I think they, the day that I saw you on your book release was one of the lowest days and most scariest days I can remember in my life. And there's, you know, it was in 96 hours finding out that that I could be better at home, better at work and losing an amount of money I could never have imagined losing in 96 hours. And uh, it really resonated with me what you said that, about being terrified and still bouncing back. And in some ways, for me, I have found, even though I still fight every time something goes wrong, I think it's the end of days. I real I'm trying to, and actually, I think this time I've found an ability to be grateful for things blowing up and having something to handle because I never, if you had told me that everything that happened in the week that I saw you was going to happen, I would have told you my life would be over. And it's the furthest thing from the truth. And um, in some crazy way, I'm very grateful for my pain, which is uh, you know, one one hundredth of what you went through and it happened incredibly fast. And I think what has helped me is what you're kind of describing is there is a purpose and a goal this go around, unlike times in my past where things have gone wrong for me, because I do have kids, I do have a wife, I do have a business partner. And there are so many people out there right now who are in pain. And that's really where this podcast came from is the most turbulent, horrible things I could imagine happening that could happen happened fast and life was still okay and i just want this time around instead of moping and being myopically focused to open up a narrative to try to help others and i and that goal has been so helpful to me through what has been nine of the hardest weeks i can remember and um you know, it's just, it, it's amazing to me. I, I wish I had your spiritual practice and I, I am trying with meditating, but uh, I grew up with a father who was uh, suicidal, who told the first, first memory I can remember was that uh, he would take his life when he could no longer 
take care of himself. And if he ever met God, he'd punch him in the face. And so I haven't had that spiritual side, but that side of now wanting to help and to be that white knight for others that I can't, couldn't be for myself um, has been tremendously helpful. And, uh, you know, I really, everything you say and everything in your book and, and all of our interactions have resonated with me to such a degree. I can't thank you enough for that. And it's amazing how you literally are an open book. Would you say that for you, creating home and finding your home is your spiritual practice right now? So I think I think you're exactly right, Warner, that uh, home is very, very much a part of my spiritual practice. And I've grappled with this idea of home my whole life, as I mentioned before, of what home really is for me. And now home is so much about my children and about my wife, Jenny, about our two pets, about the community that I live in, the, the closeness that we have to the beach, uh, our beach walks with friends. And living a spiritual life to me is not necessarily defined by saying, doing prayer and meditation in the morning, but it's really about recognizing that there's spirituality in almost everything. There's spirituality in a, in a moment that you share with your child. And um, last night I was lying in bed with my three-year-old son and I put him to bed and, and I decided not to read a story, but just to make one up. And the two of us were laying in bed. It was about 7.45 at night. And everything I said, for some reason, just made him laugh hysterically. And, you know, the names that I was coming up with, and he just began to laugh and laugh and laugh. And we quieted down for a little bit. And we both fell asleep together at 7.45. And I ended up going to bed <laughs> for the night, which is certainly not customary. And I got up, you know, I, I woke up at five this morning, but just that moment of falling asleep with my three-year-old son in my bed after uh, uproarious laughter was an extremely spiritual experience for me. And that was about home and about family. So spirituality comes in a lot of different ways. And I, I believe that the people that I know and that I work with that are the happiest have some thread or some connection to spirituality, whether it's their faith or it's their attitude or their perspective on the world or the, their thirst for knowledge and information and that they're always continuing to grow and to evolve. And so this is, uh, it's a wonderful place to do it here in Topanga Canyon. And um, yeah. And I wanted to touch on one or two things from the book that jumped out to me and, and maybe give you uh, one or two things you'd enjoy. So in the book, you talked about being in a birch forest and all the roots find one another wrapped together to form a single DNA structure. Thousands of trees becoming uh, one living entity bound together in one life, sharing the same soul. And I have that marked and it jumped out to me because uh, I actually just finished Overstory by Richard Powers, which is a book that I think you would absolutely love and talks about the sort of connectedness of everything. And it speaks to a spirituality that, you know, I, I, I think after this conversation, I will definitely 
check in and think more about that because that has always been lacking in my life. And I know I've always gotten in trouble when I think I'm the alpha and omega and I am, you know, there is nothing sort of bigger or more important than me or my travails. You know, it, it, it really is great and so important for me to hear about spirituality because I have a tough time with religion. And I, I've always heard that spirituality can be different things for different people. And, um, you know, I am the thing I want more than anything in life is to stop the Gatling gun of thoughts and and always trying to guess what's going to happen next and control and and just accept and be grateful. And in some weird way, having everything blow up in one week in my life that I thought would kill me and that hasn't has been a pathway to gratitude for what I do have right now. And I want to help, whether it's a busboy that I know that I run uh, across the bridge to bring money to, or a woman who works in my office who was who, who led a life that you couldn't imagine that's in history books um, of being in concentration camps and checking in on her and and just anything that is outside of me, that's bigger than me. And I guess that might be the, my first scraps of spirituality, but you know, it's given me space and I need space. And, um, you know, I'm so thankful for you to give me this time to discuss what has brought you out of, I mean, we haven't even touched on 1% of what you went through and, and your travails and to be where you are today is, I mean, it literally is a miracle. It it speaks to the fact there has to be some kind of higher power because I truly don't know how you're alive. And um, I'm, I barely know you compared to your friends who would probably say that you are the uh, cat with nine lives. You know, I'm so thankful when people like you come into my orbit because those strong survivors give me a true north to shoot for and let me know that whatever I'm going to go through, uh, I can get through because others have. And, and that's, um, you know, a sense of whole and connectedness that I really need in, in my life. And, um, you know, I really thank you. You were put there that day to do that book release. So I could be there for it because I was in shambles. So I, I really thank you so much for your time. I Anyone who has time on their hands, which a lot of people do right now, I highly, highly recommend Lost in Ghost Town. I, you know, I, I'm have had it for weeks and just started it and read it in a day. And there's 14 other things that I haven't touched on that I would love to, but we don't have the time for that. Um, but I, Carter, I just want to thank you so much. And I don't know if there, there's any final words that you can give to someone out there who, regardless of what they're fighting with right now, that could maybe give a little bit of breathing room and space and groundedness or, or, or just anything, just the basics, the 101 that, that helped you get from addiction to where you are today. Sure, sure. The, um, and I'm so glad that you came to my book release party in New York. It was at the Strand and you left because you were having a, 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 real, uh, a real difficult moment. And we didn't really know what it was about, Jenny or I, and, and you came back and and stayed for the reading and that was and you in the q a you said that it was really where you needed to be and so i'm so grateful that that moment alleviated some of the stress or the 
the, the difficulty that you were in. And, um, you know, that leads into, I guess, my, my parting comments really, which are essentially that what has saved me in my life and what, what I really try to adhere to on a regular basis is to have this sense of forgiveness in me about my past and the things that I have done, which certainly by all standards are pretty um, dark. And I got involved in some nefarious things and made some terrible choices and was deceitful and dishonest. And, you know, there was a lot of ugliness in my life. And, um, but I have forgiven myself for all of it. And so I don't have any negativity associated with my past. I don't feel negative at all. I just really have memories of the friendships and the positivity and the, um, and the joy that I experienced. Uh, and that's what I hold on to in the past. And in regards to the future, I have really employed this tactic of not having any expectations about anything and not trying to control the outcomes about anything because when we do that or when i have done that in the past the, the future never is anything like i imagined it would be <laughs> <laughs> um and so by really making peace with the future and forgiving myself for the past i have been able to stay present in my life and i think that's what you were talking about at that moment when you needed to be present with an experience and you came and it got you out of your head and you were able to focus on me reading from my book and seeing your friend, uh, my wife, Jenny. And, and so I would say to the people out there now that are really worried about what's going to happen and really concerned with maybe some choices that they've made in the recent past around their finances or around their job, I would say, try and let that stuff go and just be present with the experience that you have right now. Just be in today and try and make today a good day. Try and spend time talking with friends, go for a walk on the beach, be with your children, read a book, do whatever it is that, that makes you feel good and be in the moment because today you're okay. Today you're fine. And things have a way of working themselves out if you are connected to some sort of spirituality. And that's really what I believe. And I know that a lot of people are suffering and going through hard times and I can identify with that and I empathize with that, but suffering has an endpoint. And that suffering that you're going through right now, it can be, some of it can be alleviated by really being present with your life, but also there is certainly a place on the other side of the suffering. And you can get there. Yeah, I, I will just leave, read the last two paragraphs in your epilogue. I think it's sort of a good outro, you know, a great day to come. But the final two paragraphs are, my story is not meant to be a cautionary tale, but a reminder that love transcends pain, that wounds are healed through friendship, and that hope resides just around the corner. Sometimes it's hard to believe these things really happened to me, but they did. I leave you with one last thought. 
No matter how far you've fallen, you can always rise up again. There is always a way out if you believe it's possible. And it is possible. I promise you that. I am living proof. So Carter, thank you so much for being in my life, for being an an incredible husband to, to one of the best people I've ever met. And your book is something that it doesn't matter how old, what ethnicity, what religion, it will resonate with anyone who reads it. I, I hope that we stay in touch off of this, and um, and that uh, and that you uh, you know continue doing the things you're doing to help others. So thank you, sir. I really appreciate it. Have a great rest of uh, your night, and um, and be well. Thank you so much, Warner. And it's been a pleasure. And uh, I, of course, will stay in touch and um, outside of the podcast. Definitely. Thank you, sir. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Creating Home. While we all face this new and uncertain world, I find it inspirational and reassuring to learn of our guests' journeys from around the country, and I hope you do too. Join us next week as we continue to learn what goes into creating home.